Well, I rejoice to be with you. I don't rejoice over the reason that I'm with you. Um, but, whoops, but the Lord's going to take care of Pastor Mitch as we have prayed and asked. And um, it's my delight just to share the word with you and to worship with you. I, I delight to be able to worship. Now, we're going to be in um, the Sermon on the Mount for uh, these next, for today and the following six weeks. I guess we were supposed to dismiss children, but they're kind of doing it themselves. So it's always a good thing when before you've even preached, people are walking out on you. I hope that they are immensely blessed in their time with their teachers and in God's Word. So, Sermon on the Mount. I understand by reading the online bulletin, or at least the notes that get sent, the emails that get sent out, that high schoolers are already like got their master's degree in the Sermon on the Mount. Is it high school and junior high or just? Yeah, high school and junior high. Okay, so the youth of the church can preach next week, and maybe I can take notes from y'all. I see we got a row of them right here. So I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you. And if I make a mistake, would y'all like correct me or something? Like fill me in on where I missed it? I would appreciate that. Um, Sermon on the Mount is, is like a phenomenally well-known portion of Scripture. Uh, if you read those who write commentaries for people like us, those who share our be belief system, the words are just phenomenally glowing about this portion of Scripture and uh, this sermon. Um, I have read of those who don't share our beliefs whatsoever, um, Muslims who have been given a copy of the Word, and they get to Matthew 5 through 7, and they just say, whoever said this, whoever said this must be real. Um, so it has phenomenal impact. In fact, uh, the Moscow Times on September the 2nd of this year um, states this, that the world's first communist was none other than Jesus Christ. That was said by the head of the Russia's Communist Party. Uh, he stated later on um, that the slogan, the main slogan of communism, he who does not work shall not eat, <laughs> is actually written in the Apostle Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians, found in the New Testament. But then he says this, for our purposes as well, put Jesus' Sermon on the Mount next to our document, The Moral Code of the Builder of Communism, put them next to each other, and you will just gasp at how similar they are. Gennady Zhuganov, he said that Thursday in a... Or Thursday, close to September 2nd, in a radio inter interview with Komsomolskaya Pravda tabloid. We need to study the Bible, Zhuganov said, to which we would all say a hearty, yes, go for it, do it. You communists, read the Bible <laughs> along with us. And we should also say, and you Christians, <laughs> read the Bible. So our headquarters for these coming weeks is going to be the Sermon on the Mount or Lessons from the Hillside. In Luke, it, it indicates it was on a plain, probably a flat place higher up in the, in the mountain or the, the hills around the Sea of Galilee. I wish, I wish that we could all be like that Muslim, only with our eyes, our spirit-given eyes, 
and read this passage for the very first time. I wish, I wish we could be as stunned as he was, as many are, many thousands are, when they first encounter this scripture. In fact, I wish that in many ways we could have been in the crowd on that hillside listening to these words spoken for the first time. Instead, we have somewhat of a routine reaction because we have various parts of it memorized, or at least they're close enough that when someone starts it, we can complete the sentence. We're so familiar that it doesn't shock us. It doesn't strike us. It doesn't hit us with the power with which I think it originally came. Okay, I toyed this week with the idea of trying to present this sermon in first-person dramatic form. (laughs) In other words, as if I had just stumbled upon a crowd of people on this hillside and I was wondering, what's going on here? Why are we all gathered here? What's what's happening? Uh, I dropped the idea just because I don't think I could pull it off through the rest of the passage because I was going to need to refer to verses and chapters, and it just wouldn't fit. However, I'd like you to do that, okay? Would you try to imagine with me that we're all there on the hillside? Jesus has ascended the hill. He's sat down, and he opens his mouth to teach, and we are there to listen. I already used a word I didn't intend to use, Jesus. We, we don't know who that speaker is. We've just gotten here at the hill because a crowd was gathering and we gathered around them. So our question that we're going to ask this morning is, who is this teacher and why should I listen to him? Let's pray. Lord, of course, we do know who is this teacher. But we ask us, we ask you to show him to us anew. And whet our appetites for the words he will have to say to us as a body of people and as individuals. Now speak through me as I introduce the preacher. For his glory, we pray it. Amen. So who is this teacher at the top of the hill? Um, Who is this preacher of the Sermon on the Mount? And what can we discern about him if we will simply survey the sermon? If we look through what it talks about, what it says, what can we know about him? First of all, I want to say is this, that we can know that he is someone who speaks with authority. Note the very brief introduction to the sermon It says he sat down, verse 1 of Matthew 5. That's the traditional posture and positioning of a rabbi who would speak with authority in the day. He sat down. We usually stand up in order to give a sermon. Jesus sat down in the traditional spot of a rabbi giving authoritative teaching. More than that, it says he opened his mouth. Now, we Westerners, we Americans read that passage and say, Open his mouth. Well, how else could you not? How else could you give a sermon if you don't open your mouth? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. 
Nothing happens if you don't open your mouth. Well, that also is a Semitic, a Hebraic figure of speech. It's an expression for because it indicates that what follows is going to be uh, solemn and sober and official uh, in its weightiness. And so it, just the very introduction tells us that this speaker, this preacher, speaks with authority. First of all, and not only that, he's, he not only speaks with authority of a respected rabbi, but with intentional self-awareness, he demonstrates that his words bear the absolute weight of truth. Whoever's speaking here speaks in such a way that he knows his words bear weight that must be born, must be listened to. I hope you'll bear with me. This will be a little bit repetitive. But if we want to identify this preacher, then we should survey how, what he has said. We would be wise to take note of how he regards his own teaching. I'm going to just go through the, the sermon and note the things I have underlined or highlighted in green. We've already noted he sat down. He opened his mouth. Then in verse 18, For truly I say to you, in other words, you can bank on this. Chapter 5, verse 19, For I say to you, in other words, this is what I've got to give an input. Chapter 5, verse 22, you have, or verse 21, you've heard that, verse 22, but I say to you, in other words, there was a former set of authority, but I say to you, in contrast, verse 26, truly I say to you, verse 28, but I say to you, verse 32, but I say to you, verse 34, but I say to you, verse 39, but I say to you, verse 44, but I say to you. Chapter 6, verse 2, truly I say to you, you can bank on what I utter. Verse, chapter 6, verse 5, truly I say to you. Chapter 6, verse 16, truly I say to you. Verse 25, I say to you. Verse 29, I say to you. Let's see if we've got any more. We'll, we'll leave it at that for the moment. In other words, Jesus, yeah, sorry, the preacher this messenger, this mysterious messenger on the hill is unafraid to state his utterance as absolute truth, which should be listened to. Furthermore, uh, he, his words bear such sway and such command that he states he can decide who will enter into heaven or who will enter into the kingdom of heaven or life, as he called it. Notice verse, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I know who gets heaven. Uh, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs, belonging to them, is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5, verse 20. I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever this preacher is, he speaks with grave authority, and we had better listen up. He knows the gate, uh, the gateway, or the way uh, to get to heaven, and that they are narrow, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And tragically, many are those who enter by it. 
But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few find it. Listen to me. I can tell you where entrance into heaven is. Verses, chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Many are going to say to me on that day, in other words, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them. This is not, then the Father will declare to them. I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. He will stand at the entrance and grant entrance into heaven or not. Whoever's preaching at the top of the hill, we better perk up and pay attention. Finally, he knows that his words are so commanding and are so final that his listeners' ultimate lasting stability or utter and complete collapse depend on whether his listeners act on them or do not. Like those who build on a solid, or on the other hand, a shifting foundation. <laughs> I wrote it in my language. Woo, boy howdy. <laughs> I think we'd all better listen up to this preacher. If we don't listen to his words and act on them, as Craig actually prayed, um, we're building on a foundation that will lead to utter collapse. So the people in, in this man's day certainly listened in. Check out their response, verses 27, or verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7. The result was, after this man's preaching, the result was when this preacher had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one having authority. And not as the scribes. Maybe you're saying to me, well, Brian, Brian, this is all too much. No, no speaker should he accrue to himself such, such commanding authority. How in the world, you say, could any preacher make such claims? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. How in the world? If we listen carefully to what he has to say, we're going to find out that he seems to come from out of this world. This preacher has an understanding of things that are otherworldly. Um, in fact, you could almost say that he comes from, maybe not exclusively from, because he's a man, you could almost say he appears to come from heaven. He mentions heaven or heavenly, 20 times in this message from the mount. He knows which kind of people receive it or possess it or get into it. We've already mentioned that. And he talks about our Father in heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteous before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. He includes himself in there, our Father. Or at least he teaches us to include one another, our Father, when we pray. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 6. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. He knows God's will 
is done in heaven. Well, how could he know that unless he's been there? For he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your your will be done. Exactly. He knows it's done up there because he's watched it happen. This is an amazing messenger. If he's so well acquainted with heaven, don't you think it's no wonder he could speak with an otherworldly authority? We shouldn't wonder at all. A third point I want to say, he's not only authoritative, he's well aware of heaven and he speaks with heavenly authority, but he wants to connect us with, to the heaven from which he has come. In fact, over and over in his message, he will talk about God as your father. Do you know that? Sixteen times Jesus speaks to his... I'm sorry, I keep on giving away who he is. And y'all didn't know that, did you? This messenger, this preacher, 16 times says, your heavenly father, your heavenly father, or your father who's in heaven. Stop and think with me. Here we are on a hillside on a certain place on the planet, in a certain country, the nation of Israel or Palestine. And for 400 years, this nationality, these Jewish people, have not heard a word from God. In fact, their ancient history, their prophets, spoke of God as a covenant maker, as a lawgiver, as a promise maker and keeper, um, as a judge. They never called him father. And here, that guy up there on the hill has the audacity to speak of the ruling one in heaven as your heavenly father. All of us have fathers, don't we? And at this point, you might even say, if he's like my father, Mm-mm, ain't no days like that. We've all had fathers. Some fathers detached and distant. Some fathers extremely engaged and encouraging. Some fathers abusive. Some fathers applauding. Some fathers who seemed not to care, some fathers who hovered, (laughs) some fathers who provided well, some fathers who stretched to make a living, some fathers who, who left, some fathers who are with us to the very end. (laughs) I like this, the end of chapter 5, verse 48, it says, (laughs) listen to me. Please hear me before you look at the verse. It says this. Your heavenly father is perfect. Let me repeat what the preacher said again. Your heavenly father is perfect. There's something in us that knows when a father's a bad father. 
because we've been wired to crave the love and care and attention and encouragement of a good father. We're, we're wired by very human nature, by God-designed nature, that we should want a father who's perfect. And, okay, our fathers were all fatally flawed. And they give birth to children who have, who have the same defect, right? We're all flawed. And therefore, no father can be perfect. As hard as they try, as diligent as they may seek his will to be that father. And yet, the scriptures here, this preacher says, your father in heaven is perfect. Man, that is beautiful. Chapter 6, verses 9 and following. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You can't say that to an imperfect father, can you? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us the food we need every day. Forgive us the mountains of sins we commit every day. And keep us out of trouble and away from evil. We can say that to a perfect heavenly father. Chapter 6, verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That doesn't mean he's predicting your whining. No. <laughs> he just happens to know our needs because he's a perfect father. Chapter 6, verse 32. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Do you ever feel like you have a to-do list when you go to prayer? Please. And that perfect father's up there smiling. Knew that. <laughs> Knew that. Knew that. I got gotcha. you. I'm with you. I'm your daddy. This preacher who speaks with authority and who knows what's going on in heaven, wants to connect us with a father, heavenly father who is perfect and knows all that we need. Chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, <laughs> you human beings, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, <laughs> how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good? To those who ask him. He gives the good stuff. Because he's a perfect father. In heaven. Or next point. He's authoritative. We, bid, we better listen. He knows heaven. And that's where we want to go. And he wants us to get there. And he's introduced us to a father. Who's perfect. Now, the speaker, because he has the perspective of heaven and because he himself knows the heart and has the heart of a father, this preacher knows human nature. <laughs> I hope you're glad to hear that. This preacher knows what we're like. He understands what we're like. He's been hanging with us, watching us, observing our behavior, probing us, this preacher wore human clothing because he was a human being in addition to being God. He's been probing us. In fact, in every possible way, 
Though it appears he came from heaven, he's one of us. He gets us. This preacher and whatever message he's going to give, he's going to give out of an abundant understanding of what we're like and what our needs are and what our failures are. I just listed out these things rather than put, bringing them from the various verses. He knows we got issues. <laughs> he knows we have problems with anger, with uncontrolled tongues, with ruptured relationships, with wounded and broken friendships, with fences that need mending. Have you ever walked away from a conversation saying, man, I wish I could just get those words back. I wish I'd never said that. You saw the face fall of the person to whom you were speaking. Jesus knows that. He knows we come off, we, we, we pop off with stuff like that. And it wounds relationships. He knows about that. <laughs> he knows that marriages require work. That adultery and divorce break homes. That lust destroys. It destroys hearts. Destroys people. He knows we make promises that we don't keep. We pledge ourselves way, way, way too flippantly. He knows, he knows our souls too easily burn when someone offends us. You get cut off in traffic, what do you want to do? And aren't you glad you're not driving a tank? Isn't the world glad we aren't armed at that moment? Jesus knows that. He, he's probed our instinctive reactions. He knows that we have an instinct for exacting revenge. <laughs> he knows our tendency to put on externals when it comes to religion. Here, we're all meeting in a church. This is, this is getting a little too close to home. He knows that we tend to put on a show um, in that way, that we get sucked into performance, a kind of an external performance of piety that doesn't really match the internal reality. Jesus knows that. He, see, he sees that we're hoarders, and he, it's not because he watches the show. He's more polite. He's, he calls it laying up treasures in heaven. But he knows that we have this tendency, this almost insatiable appetite that we accumulate resources and assets and he diagnoses that issue. Um, often at the root of that drive to accumulate is worry. Because we worry and fret. Will I have enough? Will I have enough to get my kids through college? Will I have enough to retire? Will I have enough if I lose my job? Will I ever get a job again because COVID shut everything down? He knows that we fret and worry. And we can get consumed with it. Oh my, this preacher sees right through us, doesn't he? He sees our judgmental spirits. He knows that we're really, really quick to criticize others and to judge each other. He sees that we have good intentions, that we mean to pray, that we want to pray, but we easily lose steam and we give up praying. And so he wants to address that weakness in us. There's so much more this preacher knows, which we'll find out. And we're not being, going to be able to cover the whole thing. The junior and senior hires can teach you all of, those, all of it. I just have six Sundays left. But this preacher who's going to speak to us, 
knows us in and out. And he's going to talk to us like a real person to real people. Final point. In all his acute awareness of who we are in our sin and our weakness, (laughs) that speaker up there, that preacher, he loves us. Can I say that again? He loves us. We got issues. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We got issues. How about you? (laughs) And he loves us nonetheless. (laughs) Chapter 6, verse 30. Not the whole verse. Do you hear the tender, affectionate tone of voice when he says, Will God not much more do so for you, O people of little faith? Oh, people of little faith. He says that with a tender voice because he loves us. And everything he teaches us in this marvelous message from the hill is for our own eternal good and our present blessing. In other words, he's given this message so that in eternity, the life, the life we have then will be so much better. But the life we have now in fellowship with that heavenly father he wants to introduce us to, will be so much better as well. I'm going to close with just these remarks about reward. Jesus in this... The preacher in this message wants to tell us about the rewarded life. Chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. Verse 46, chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? How good is that if you just love people who love you back? Even the text goes to do stuff like that. Chapter 6, verse 1. You guys, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. Verse 2, very end. Truly I say to you, they've got their reward. In other words, they got all they're ever going to get. But, verse 4, your alms may be in secret, so your Father who sees in secret will repay you, basically to reward you. Verse 5, I say to you, they've got their reward and reward in full. Verse 6, Your father who sees in secret will repay you. Verse 16, they've got their reward. Verse 18, your father who sees in secret will repay you. Okay, we're we're in the month of September. What, about four weeks, three weeks into school season? How many has it been? Five? Oh, ouch, that hurts. Already five. That means the first six weeks almost over, eh? Cool. Um, All right, when the teacher at the beginning of a semester says, look, there's some things that are going to get a penalty here. You hand in a paper late, and it's 10 points off. But you handed it complete, and you handed it on time. I'm so good of a teacher, I'm going to give you 10 points extra credit. And here's some other things you can do for extra credit. And she, she or she starts to pile on the list, and you're thinking, man, I'm taking notes on this extra credit stuff. This sounds good. Well, here's Jesus, here's the preacher, who is saying to us, 
hey, if you do this, you lose your reward. But if you do this, you can see his eyes brighten. I, I can see him up there. His eyes are brighter. And if you do this, man, you get a great reward in heaven. The Father in heaven will repay you for that. You get a reward for this. This is extra credit stuff. He's not telling us that just because those are the facts. He's wanting to motivate us to go for what is best. So this preacher on the hillside, we may not know who he is, but we know this much. He's got utter authority, and when he speaks, we better listen. He knows heaven, what it's like there, what gets rewarded there. He knows how it's like when, when, his, when he sees the, the Father's will done there. And he wants us there with him. He knows the Father and he's introduced us to a loving Heavenly Father who knows all about us. And he understands exactly what we're like. Such as we are. And he loves us nonetheless. He loves us so much that he wants us to be rewarded. I don't know about you, but I want to hear his sermon. It's bound to be good. And so we read. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him and opening his mouth he began to teach them. If the disciples are in the front row don't you want to be in the second? <laughs> let's climb the hill and let's listen to what this kind of preacher has to say for us. Okay, I'm not a professional singer. I've never played one on TV. I'd like to sing our closing prayer if you will let me. Prepare our hearts, O oh God. Help us to receive. Break the hard and stony ground. Help our unbelief. Plant your word down deep in us. Cause it to bear fruit. Open up our ears to hear, lead us in your truth, show us Christ, show us Christ, O oh God, reveal your glory. Through your preaching of the word, until all our hearts confess that Christ is Lord. 
Your word is living light upon our darkened eyes, guards us through temptations, makes the simple wise. Your word is food for famished ones. Freedom for the slave, riches for the needy soul. Come speak to us today. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. O God, reveal your glory through your preaching of your word till all our hearts confess that Christ is Lord. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. Show us Christ, O oh God. Show us Christ, O oh God. Reveal your glory through your preaching of the word until all our hearts confess that Christ is Lord. Now, you have an adopted people group in the part of the world for, whom I, for which I care. They're, they're noted out on the bulletin board. I'm not saying their names because this is being broadcast live, but you know who they are. I want to sing this for them. And it's your prayer, our prayer for them. Show them Christ. Show them Christ. Oh God, reveal your gospel through the sharing of the truth until all their hearts confess that Christ is Lord. Lord Jesus, thanks for preaching this message. Speak to us that we will love you more and obey you with all our hearts. In your name we pray it. Amen.